Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, it's Wednesday afternoon uh, here in beautiful Knoxville, Tennessee, where I am joined by old friend, years and years on this very podcast of the Athletic. It's Yovan Bua. Yovan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Do uh, what do we call you now? Because you were the Lakers beat writer, and now you're over <laughs> here covering the Phoenix Suns. Are you officially in national NBA writer status? Uh not quite yet. Uh, I, I would just say uh, NBA reporter maybe mm. is is the best way. Uh, keep it a little vague, but yes, mm. I I'm technically the Lakers beat writer who parachuted in on the the Suns beat uh, for. Well, it's been a, a fun playoff run, I, I will say. <laughs> it, it's interesting you use the term fun um, because I, I'm, I'm not going to lie, Yovan. I'm getting worn down by the Hawks just being in my life for this long. I'm, I'm not used to this. I'm not used to them playing. It is almost July. It's June 30th, and they're still playing basketball. And there's a very real chance that they're going to continue playing basketball into middle to late July. And the Braves are going on. Lane United's playing. There's all kinds of other stuff going on. The Olympics are starting soon. You have the Stanley Cup final. Like, there's all kinds of sports going on. Even the Euros. I'm tired, Jovan. I'm tired. It's a lot. There's too much going on. I, I feel weird complaining about this, but the Hawks get another one. I'm like, oh my god. The Hawks are playing on the Friday night again. <laughs> like, it's another Friday night I have to dictate around the Hawks. They've just been in my Friday nights for, like, three months in a row. I need it to end. Is that make me a bad fan or analyst to just be like, I, I need I need this to stop? No, no. I mean, I, I've definitely had those moments of fatigue, and I think that it, it's been made worse just by the every other day nature of this season, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, even going back to the regular season, uh, you know, covering the Lakers, it, it just felt like we never really had a, a break. And, yeah. you know, we weren't traveling, so it made it a little bit easier, but it was like, you know, you, you – had a game and then the next day you kind of slept in recovered a little bit from the late night and then it was like oh you got a game tomorrow so i think you know that just the the structure of the schedule the condensed nature um even though it was 72 games instead of 82 it it still felt like a lot it basically was like a a lockout shortened type season um but yeah i mean i I think then the playoffs you've just had all these stars injured and <laughs> these weird, like I, no one picked the, the, you know, really the, the sun. I, a lot of people pick the sun to lose in the first round to the Lakers. And for half that series, it looked like they were going to lose in the first round to the Lakers. Uh, so for them to, to make this conference finals run and, and then have a team like the Hawks, who uh, a lot of people were picking to lose in the first round. I, I didn't get that. I, I was pro Hawks in that Knicks matchup, but I think most people did not think they'd get past the Sixers and you know then they're here now and with a shot to make the finals so uh it's been a a bit of a weird run a kind of a continuation of the bubble in terms of just seemingly random odd you know uh series winners and and, you know there was some pushback last year about the heat making the finals and uh even maybe the nuggets making the conference finals over the clippers and and stuff uh, just about the the dynamics of the bubble but that's kind of trans you know transferred into this season where I would say at least two of the conference finalists are, are random by, I guess, conventional standards. So, uh, it, but I, I think, but I think that's been fun, and that's what's kind of been fun about covering the Suns is like th- there's this this energy with the franchise and with the team right now 
that I don't think you, you have with other franchises because it has been 11 years for them since they've made the playoffs. It has been 11 years since they made a run. And for them to, to be in this position right now, I think there's just a lot of juice around them. And it, that has kind of given me that extra energy that, that maybe covering a, a Lakers team that was just trying to get to the finish line didn't necessarily have. Yeah, I, I struggle with this in the text there with the Atlanta Sports Guys that we do every Friday. Like, it, the Giannis stuff is such a bummer. Like, it's just awful. Like, I kind of want to just cancel the series. Like, it's just not the, the Hawks getting through this way, as it looks like they probably will. I mean, I understand it's the nature of the sport, but all this. So, like, what are we at? 11 All-Stars now have missed time this postseason. And it's just, it's incredible. And then you wonder, like, 30 years from now, are you going to remember this season being the, the year where everybody got hurt and nobody played? Um, but you, you spoke about the Heat. And I think even just the most rational Heat and, uh, or I should say irrational Heat and Hawks fans, I would hope would agree that like the fact that we're getting that Heat team from last year and potentially this Hawks team in the NBA Finals back-to-back years with everything we know about the NBA before this tells us something, which is um, these this these two seasons have been extremely weird and weirdly conducive to teams like the Suns and other teams like that to make a once-in-a-generation type run because the NBA is not built this way. The, the reason the all-star conversation matters is that they are, generally speaking, who wins. You need the two to three all-stars to win a title. You need those guys. And those guys have mostly been available. This is not just like a Kevin Love being absent for a little bit um, during the Cavs run and that just being like, oh, can they still survive with Richard Jefferson at the four and all this stuff? No, this is far, far different and far more reaching than what that was years ago and i think yeah it happens sometimes like kevin durant obviously going down and stuff like that and that that is the thing but not to this extreme and that these two seasons have been an extreme case where like all of the stuff that has happened over the last 18 months has opened the door for teams to go on march madness type runs like the heat did last year and the hawks are doing this year that I think the door will be shut on this after next year when things really get back to as normal as they were, maybe even a year after next. But like that's when we go back to, oh, right, you have one star and Jimmy Butler and a bunch of quality role players. Well, guess what? You're you're not getting through this gauntlet with a bunch of healthy all-stars around them. Um, but it's not an indictment on the Hawks. It's not their fault. Like Trey's hobbled. He fell on a ref's foot, and that was insane. And Bogey's knees messed up, and DeAndre Hunter's just gone. Um, they had to plug in Cam Reddish. Like they're, everyone's playing with the circumstances and the hands they're dealt. But it is weird in that if everything was normal this season, the Hawks are not even close to the situation. But that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. I'm throwing a lot at you, Yovan. But this is how I'm processing all of this weird stuff and just in my note taking and everything I'm thinking about it. What does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you kind of touched on it um, in that I do think this is probably going to be. A, another probably two seasons until things balance out because I, I think you know people have talked about the bubble tax and sort of you know looking at three of the four conference finalists lost in the first round had injury plagued regular seasons and the fourth team uh, the Denver Nuggets was basically a shell of itself in the second round and frankly I, I think only got to the second round because they had arguably the easiest first round matchup in playing Portland, who you and I have had many discussions about and not really believing in them. And now they're in this really interesting situation. So I think 
you know, you just look at that and it's like, there's no, like that short turnaround of basically two and a half months or less for those four teams really cost them to start the season. And, and we saw that just be a, a war of attrition for those four uh, teams, you know, th- throughout the year. And I, I think that it's going to be a similar thing going into next season where I, I think these four teams with the short, you know, w- with training camp starting September 28th, you're, you're going to have once again, basically a two month, you know, two and a half month uh, window to, to, uh, of an off season, depending on when the, the finals end, uh, you know, for the two title teams, and then these conference finalists are going to get, I guess, an extra week or two. Uh, but it's still not ideal. And I think you're going to probably see these four teams be affected by this once again next season. So I think maybe that, that following year, 2022 to 2023, is when things will finally normalize and, and just go back to, okay, you know, the, the champion has a three-plus month, you know, almost four-month offseason, which is kind of what we're accustomed to. Uh, and and that kind of just normalizes things, but yeah, I mean, I think we, we it, but it's been fun, you know, and I, I think the the you, you need different, you know, you you need new blood in the playoffs, and I, I think that's what we've had yeah. these past couple of years with with Luca, with Trey, uh, now with Devin Booker and, and DeAndre Ayton, and just it, it's it's been new faces, you know, elevating to new levels, and it's not just the LA teams and you know, the, the Nets and the Celtics, right? Like it's, it's, we're, we're seeing, I think it's good for the league to have the Hawks make a conference finals run and potentially go further. I think it's good for the Suns. You know, I, I think it's, it's good for the Bucks to kind of exercise some of their demons. I, I think it's good for the Clippers to finally break through to the conference finals. Like these are all kind of new, fresh storylines that we, we haven't had in, in recent years that I think, you know, after the, just the monotony of Warriors, Cavs, Warriors, Cavs, Warriors, Cavs. Okay, you know, Lakers Heat's kind of interesting, but no one really believes the Heat should be here. Like, it's just I don't know. I, I think it's been a it's been a fun season. Um, you know, it, it does suck if you are a, a fan of one of the teams that has dealt with some of these injuries. But at, to your point, like everyone's kind of dealt with it, and it's just been who can survive it the best. And I think it's I guess ultimately these four teams. Yeah, and I think people want to see it. It's just like they want to see them beat it like it's just it i wonder if it would matter more if like if trey exercises those i, I shouldn't say exercise those demons if he just beats Giannis and they out to Giannis and middleton kind of folds or struggles and has more of the 15 point outings less that he did than game four where or in game three rather where he just went off and just dropped 20 in the fourth and all that kind of stuff like i wonder how much of it it it's not that there's pushback against the new stars breaking through. It's that they didn't actually beat the old guard. You know what I mean? They just passed through the old guard because the old guard's starting to get injured and break down. Like, I don't know if, like, do you look at the, the Clipper series where it's like, it, it's just amazing to watch Monty and Ty Lue go back to back and throw haymakers the way they are. And Reggie Jackson, just on this crazy heater. That's all cool. And Paul George leading the, the postseason a minute. It's all great. But like, if the Suns get through because Terrence Mann's having to play a lot of minutes and DeMarcus Cousins is having to be involved and that the, the Clippers are having to run super small with Morris and Batum at the five, that like, okay, do we believe that this would have been the result and the Suns went in six if Kawhi is playing like he was before he got he went down um, and that you get through this this version of Paul George and this version of Kawhi? Like, does it... Does it matter less? And like, did you really get through? Did Devin Booker really break through? And it's now Booker's league. It's now, uh, it's now Trey's league because he got through Joel Embiid and um, and Giannis. And 
I, I don't know. Like, it, it, part of it is like you want that story, cheesy, cliche sports thing where you want to just see the young guys beat the old guys, not the old guys just get hurt and the young guys take advantage, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there there's definitely something to that. Um, I, I do think that if you look at NBA history, though, and this was a point I, I've made because I, I've kind of defended the Suns and their run. Because my, my thinking is just, what in NBA history have injuries not played a factor yeah. in a playoff run? I, I think, you know, if, if you go through every postseason, there usually is one to two major injuries that affect the postseason. And, and you know, like in, in 2019, Golden State was still probably the best team when healthy. But, yeah. you know, Toronto broke through. The, you know, they, they get the shot against the Sixers. They go, you know, rally from down 0-2 to the Bucks go to the finals, play a hobbled Warriors team and beat them. And I think there's two ways to look at it. You, you can, you know, I guess, knock Toronto's title and, and kind of take that away from them. Or you can just say, hey, they were playing the team in front of them and injuries always play a factor. Now, I do think that this year and, and there's been you know recent research on this, like there have been an abnormal amount of injuries. So do I think the best team in the NBA is going to win the title this season? No. For, for my money, I think the three best teams – were the two LA teams and Brooklyn. I think if, if one of those three teams wins it, and who knows, maybe the Clippers still win it, I would view that as, okay, those to me were the top three teams. I, I kind of buy that as a legit, you know, that, that was a team that probably deserved to win it. Now, if it's Milwaukee, if it's Phoenix, if it's Atlanta, like, do I think that's the best team in the NBA? No. But do I think they're a worthy champion? Like, yeah, I mean, they, they, they still made it, right? And I think that's kind of, it's if just it was different. So we're not for, accustomed to it, right? Like it's just not, a different and, and thing. Like it's just not how the seen, NBA works. I think we've seen some of these titles, right? You, you had the '99 lockout title, mm-hmm. you had the 2012 lockout title, and I, I would put this up there, which, which is kind of uh, crazy. But like, I think the two Rockets titles with, with no Jordan, which is the yeah. way he was dominating the '90s. Like those two almost have to have like mini asterisks on them. And then I guess maybe you could throw the bubble title in there, although. I think there's a, a case to be made. It was oh, actually harder. Beat Yovan. I don't know if you um, want to do this. No, I, 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 I've made the case. I think it's actually harder. But <laughs> I know people would make that case. But I, I mean, I think how many people actually talk about LeBron's first Miami title being like having an asterisk, yeah. or Dun- Duncan's first San Antonio title having an asterisk, or Hakeem's two titles? Like, I think history kind of forgets some of the context, and I do think this is a situation where a decade from now, whoever wins, especially I, I think the two that would get the least pushback would be Milwaukee and the Clippers just because I think coming into the season, I think most people had Milwaukee as a top two seed uh, with, with like Brooklyn and, and Milwaukee probably as the top two teams in the East. Uh, I think, you know, the Clippers were right there with the Lakers and, and, you know, so those were kind of like the preseason favorites or in that conversation. So those two make sense. I think Phoenix and Atlanta are the two where you will get some pushback of like this, you know, fifth seed Atlanta team won the title or like, this Phoenix team kind of coasted in the regular season because of health, and then they had the easiest playoff path and won a title. But again, it's just like when when does that not factor in? Like go through every postseason, and you will see one, two, three, four stars that are out that change a series. And sometimes a team gets lucky. I think obviously Phoenix has had some some fortune with, with their playoff run. You know, no AD, no Jamal Murray, now no Kawhi. Like th- I mean, yes, that's pretty they, all time. Breaks, that's pretty all time fortunate, right? <laughs> it is. It is, but. I also think like, and I was I almost tweeted this before they lost Game Five, so I'm kind of glad I didn't. But I was like, how many teams, like if if you're doing like an alternate universe where 
even a team can kind of play itself. So you can include uh, the Nuggets and the Lakers in this list. But like, how many teams in Phoenix's position would be eleven and three through their first fourteen playoff games with this path? Because I, mm. I think the list is short. You know, I, I think, um, and with dealing with some of the stuff they've dealt with, because I, I think people forget, like Chris Paul was injured the entire first round against the Lakers. Like, you know, they, they still. I mean, yes, Anthony Davis impact. You know, his injury impacted that series more than anyone else's. But it wasn't like Chris Paul was out there dropping twenty and ten. Like Chris Paul was barely able to dribble in that series, and they still beat the Lakers in six, and and, and you know blew them out in a couple of those last games without AD. Uh, the Denver series, yes, you know they, they were fully healthy, and and there was no Murray and, and Michael Porter got injured. I still think they probably beat Denver, but you know that that was a sweep because of the injuries. And then this Clippers series, you know the health and safety protocols, Devin Booker breaks his nose. So like, I still don't think Phoenix is hundred percent whole. Now, of course, Kawhi's just out so that, you, you know, you, you favor the Suns in that. But I, my, my po- larger point is just how many teams would have dominated the way that they had dominated, frankly, until the sauce game five. Like, I think it's, it's a small list. Like, I don't think Philadelphia is doing that. I don't think Milwaukee's doing that. We, we've seen Milwaukee's struggles in the playoffs. Like, I, I, I don't know, like maybe the Lakers, maybe the Nets, maybe a full-strength Clippers team. But other than that, like I, I don't know what teams have as good of a playoff run as, as Phoenix is having with the same context. So I think they deserve credit. Now, uh, again, are they the best team in the league? I don't think so. But it doesn't really matter. If they win the title, they win the title. And I think 10 years from now, we're not really going to care. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I don't want to make it seem like I'm pushing back against Atlanta fans who are enjoying this, Phoenix fans who are enjoying this. Um you you play the hand you're dealt and you you're probably not going to be back like you're probably not going to be there I, I think phoenix has a better opportunity of building off this run but i mean chris paul could be gone next year and that's it um this could be a one-time thing and i think devin booker's a star and all that kind of stuff but it's just gonna be very hard in the west to to come back in this way um the hawks for sure very unlikely even having the best point guard in the east they'll be in the conversation and trey's gonna keep them in the conversation but the idea that they're they're going back to back or they're gonna be this perennial um, Eastern Conference representative in the NBA Finals is just incredibly unlikely, um, but yeah, enjoy it. Just just enjoy it. Don't be like don't be a weirdo like me and overthink it. Just uh, enjoy all of that. Um, yeah, but we're not going to get into what's going to happen tonight with the Suns and the Clippers because when people are hearing this, this game will probably already have been played. So there's no point in diving into what's happening tonight. But when you look at what's happened thus far in the series before Game Six, we don't know what's going to happen. But when you look at what Ty Lue has done, what Doc did last year with the Clippers team, because you covered this team last year, like what are you noticing that's different, that's keeping them alive, that's keeping Reggie Jackson engaged, that's keeping this group moving and just fighting, and what you're seeing from Paul George? Like what, what's different about what you're watching every night with this team? So I think to, to really get the difference between Doc and Ty, you should go, go get a dictionary <laughs> uh, open it up to the A section and look up the word adjustments. Mm. And that is a, a key difference between the two. I mean, no, like uh, seriously, like I, I think Ty has pushed all the right buttons. And I think I, I've seen some people be critical of him. And, and I think he, he has pushed the wrong buttons at time, but he at times, but he is willing to eject and, and change his strategy. Like, uh, in the first two games, playing DeMarcus Cousins and Rajon Rondo really cost them. They, they got absolutely destroyed in both of those, you know, bench-centric uh, lineups. 
And those both of those segments of the of games one and two, I believe, cost the Clippers those games. You know, if you, if you actually look at the lineup data and how those games are going, the Clippers were actually winning the starting minutes. It was their bench in both you know, both times that end of first quarter, early second quarter, they just got destroyed. And um, it was either, you know, they, they had the lead. And then all of a sudden Phoenix tied it up or, or took a small lead or Phoenix had a slight lead and then took it to double digits. And those two stretches really cost them. And, and what did Ty Lu do in, in response? He completely benched Rondo, who has not played since. Uh, I think played a little bit in game three, but, but then got benched in the second half and, and hasn't played since. And then he benched Boogie until dusting off the cobwebs and, and him giving them some pretty important minutes in game five. So I think he's shown a willingness to review what's happening, uh, you know, analyze it critically and then adapt. And, you know, through the, the uh, you know, opening stretches of the, of the first four games, like, you know, the, the small ball lineups were not working. Uh, Avica Zubats, in my opinion, was, was their second or third best player through the first four games. He was probably their best player in game three, the only game they had won through the first four games. And Ty Lue adjusted and it was like, OK, we just use small ball against the Mavs. We just use small ball against the, the Jazz. We played Rudy Gobert off the court. So far, we can't do that against DeAndre Ayton. Let's go big. Let, let's mm-hmm. neut- let's try to neutralize Ayton, stick with Zubats, and, and go a little bit more traditional. And it was working. They, they, you know, Zub- the Zubats minutes against Ayton, the Clippers were winning all those. It was when they went small or DeMarcus played, they lost those minutes. And then, of course, you know, Zubats gets injured. Uh, he, he's out, and they adjust and, and go smaller because they kind of have to. And they strategically play Boogie in the Sarich minutes, which he had won slightly uh, in games one and two. But the, you know, the Suns adjusted and put Aiton in, and those, and then uh, Ty kept him out there, and then they lost those minutes. But um, you know, I, I just think the, the chess match has been really interesting between these two coaches. But again, like these are adjustments we did not see from Doc last postseason. He he kept playing Montrez Harrell. He kept playing Reggie Jackson. I mean, he subbed Reggie Jackson in for a defensive possession when Reggie Jackson had statistically been the worst defender in the playoffs up until that point. And what happened? Luka Doncic hit a game-winning shot in his face. So I think Doc just basically pushed all the wrong buttons and kept pushing them, where Ty has either just pushed the the right buttons outright, or when he hasn't pushed the right buttons, he reviews it and and he adjusts. And I think he's played Terrence Mann more. He's played Nicholas Batum more. you know, he, he wasn't playing uh, Marcus Morris when he wasn't hitting shots. Like, I just think he, he knows his team as well as a coach can know their team. And again, just because he, he knows them doesn't mean everything's going to work. But I think what I've been most impressed by is like he, he tinkers all the time. And if something isn't working, he adjusts quarter to quarter, half to half, game to game in a way that few coaches do. You know, we, we've seen it with Bud. We've seen it with Doc being too stubborn with your lineups, rotations, strategy, that costs you in a playoff series if you're in a matchup where they can exploit your weaknesses. You, you have to be able to adjust with your personnel, with your strategy. Uh, and, and Ty, I thought Game 5 was a masterpiece. Went small, uh, you know, re- really attacked uh, Phoenix in, in mismatches and, and isolations and, and pick and rolls. Uh, made sure Aiton was out of the action uh, through zone at, at Phoenix. That kind of messed them up to start that game. And, and then, you know, really did a, a good job of sending two to three guys at eight and on rebounds and just hitting him, smacking him and, and, you know, nothing dirty, but being really physical with him and not letting him get on the offensive glass when, when he killed them with nine offensive rebounds in game four. So I think Ty's just done a wonderful job and 
it's to me a night and day difference. And really, I mean, we saw what happened in the, in the Phillies series against the Hawks with Doc. Like Doc, at this point, I think it's it's tough to make the the case that you can trust him in the playoffs. To me, he is a regular season coach. He will elevate you in the regular season, get you a nice seed. But come playoff time, when it comes to making adjustments and, and making critical decisions, I've personally lost a lot of confidence in Doc, and, and I think his last seven playoff runs really back that up. Yeah. I think Tyler is the, the best coach left in this playoff group of four, and it's not particularly close. And I am curious to see how much that means at, at the end of this. I mean, if he pulls off like back-to-back 2-0 holes um, and then come back 3-1 here, I mean, just without Kawhi, it, it's just – it's unreal. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think the, the Clippers make it through to game seven, and then it's just doomsday scenario. I think – I cannot believe I'm here, but, like, the last week and a half, I've been like, ah, it seems unlikely. Like, I just – I don't see how – the Suns don't win at all. Like I just, I'm like I just, I don't really understand how they they just can at this point. Um, and then tonight, like as of 4:45, I'm like, oh, the Clippers are winning the series. Like that's where, uh, that's where I'm at. So I, I, I'm I, with you. Okay. I, I think, like I, I think, I think it's either Suns one in six or Clippers one in seven. Yeah. Um. And, you know, I, I think the, the pressure of going to a game seven, and of course, now watch the Suns win in seven. But mm. um, I just think the pressure of going to a game seven, uh, I, I think Chris Paul has not looked like himself since returning from health and safety protocols. Uh, I mean, he he all but confirmed that he had COVID. And obviously, we, we've seen Jason Tatum, other players really struggle to return and, and get back to normal in, you know, w- within weeks. Right. It, it really took, you know, one to two months uh, depending on the, the cases that we've heard of. So uh, I think expecting Chris Paul to miss 11 days, um, even though he was vaccinated, you know, it's just, it's tough, right? And I, I think you, you've seen it with his legs. His shots have, have been very short. He's 19 of 60 on, on the series. After after coming off of one of his best shooting series of all time against Denver, he's been the exact opposite against the Clippers. And, you know, really just struggled to beat switches, struggled to get to the rim, uh, you know, he, he will get to the rim selectively. So it's, it's not like he's, he's living in the paint, but he, he is a guy who can get to the rim and, and kind of uses that threat to open up his mid range jumper. And you just haven't really seen that from him. Uh, you know, they've done a great job against seven book. I mean, honestly, if it, like, if we're analyzing the games, I think in terms of like, who's the actual play I mean, and the Clippers are up in, in, in the margin in, in this series, I, I think they're now up, um, what they're plus i want to say plus 17 mm-hmm. despite being down yeah they're, they're plus 17 in the series despite being down three two and you can make a case they should have won game two if paul george hits his two free throws or at least one of them and you know they, they could have potentially won game four if, if paul george hits that first free throw remember he misses the second demarcus cousins gets the the rebound and if he makes that second free throw instead of hilariously throwing it off the backboard that's a tied game and likely going to overtime. So the Clippers had a chance in both games, two and four, to steal those games and ultimately came up short. And of course, then you have the value, which maybe they prevent that. But like if Paul George hits his free throws, there is no value. So I think the Clippers, have, honestly, in my opinion, who's been the if you if you're going, you know, kind of boxing style, like who's just been better in each game? I think the Clippers have actually been the better team in at least three of the five games if not potentially for the five games. So, I mean, I know it doesn't matter if, if you, you know, if you don't win the games, it doesn't really matter who outplayed who, but I think the Clippers have actually, it's either been a close game or a Clippers blowout basically. And I think, 
you know, going to game six, I would not be surprised if the Clippers lose just because, you know, I, I the, you know, the Suns are up 3-2. Uh, the, the Clippers, I think, have dead legs. You saw that down the stretch of game four where, you know, they, they just couldn't hit a shot. They met, missed 10 straight shots to, to go ahead in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I think it's, it's catching up to them. Playing a seven-game series, playing a six-game series every other day, no Kawhi, like all, all those things, you know, favor the Suns. But if the Clippers somehow can pull off this game six, I think they go into game seven with all the confidence in the world, all the pressures on Chris Paul, on Phoenix to not blow a 3-1 lead. And yeah, so I mean, I think this honestly is game seven for Phoenix because if they're going back with the Clippers have won two games in a row, all the pressure is back on them. That's just not the situation you want to be in. Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see what happens there. Um, the last thing on this, though, too, Michael Pena of SI had a really good piece on DeAndre Ayton today. And I didn't realize just how, like, if you watch the games, you can see how different Aiden is versus what we saw last year and just him avoiding contact, not really wanting to be a defensive anchor and not really loving the whole concept of uh, just battling down low, just loving uh, not taking free throws and just taking his mid-range jumpers. Now he's making 70% of his 10.7 field goal attempts per game and at 79% at the rim, where 7.1% uh, percent of those tries come from heading into this postseason the highest field goal percentage of any player uh, any player has ever had taking at least 150 shots was James Worthy's 62.2 percent in 1985 the gap between Aiden's field goal percentage and Worthy's is the same as Worthy and 77th ranked Kiki Vandeweghe who shot 54.4 percent in 1983 all that coming from Michael Pena and SI pretty remarkable numbers from from Aiden right now he, he's been, I mean, I, I think heading heading into last or you know two nights ago, uh, he, he to me was the best son in the series, and, and honestly making a case for best son in the playoffs. I mean, I, I think it's probably it's probably Devin Booker, but definitely in this series, DeAndre Ayton had been the best son through the first four games. You know, did have a, a subpar performance in Game Five, but to me, it's it's the the catching and finishing ability. Uh, that that's really impressed me. Like he just, I mean, in, in some ways he reminds me of uh, Montrezl Harrell, and, and and but he's seven foot one, you know, and and more athletic and just you know just a better overall athlete. But like you know, I, I think one of the one of the underrated things about Montrezl Harrell that that makes him sometimes play a little bit bigger than he is is he just catches everything, you know, and and that that's kind of why he's good in the pick and roll is no matter what type of pass you, you know you throw a little too low. Um, you throw it through traffic like Montrose Harrell more often than not and you know 90 something percent of the time like is catching that ball and, and you know finding a way to kind of get it up now Montrose Harrell six foot seven you know DeAndre Ayton seven foot seven foot one so he's just doing it at a different level and as a a you know different athlete and I think just some of his finishes are just finishes you don't see from other bigs where he, he has these weird scoop flip shots these weird like finger rolls where he's kind of just like flinging it up and it's just, you know, the, the touch is so soft. It's just, you know, falling in the net and you're like, how many guys can actually, you know, finish a play like that? Like it, it's a you know a handful at most. Um, so I think, and then on the other end, like his defense where he, he's really answered the call, uh, you know, d- defended, I thought defended Anthony Davis very well, uh, defended Nikola Jokic very well, forced him into a lot of tough contested jumpers and has, you know, I, I think held his own against the small ball units. Like, 
you know, the, the Clippers did have success, obviously, in Game 5, but I don't think that was because of DeAndre Ayton. It wasn't like they were targeting Ayton and just exploiting him on switches and, and mismatches. Like, you know, they, they were going at other guys and just trying to make sure Ayton wasn't in the paint so, so they could get to the rim. Uh, so he, he's showed, to, to me, he is a 16-game player. Uh, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll see if this translates into the next regular season and if this is like a stepping stone into him just becoming a flat-out star. But in terms of his skill set translating to the postseason, I think it clearly does. And if you're the Suns, like, yes, I'd probably you know, rather have Luca or Trey. I think that those two guys are obviously on a different level and uh, would would be great fits with, with Booker. Where you know, I, I think Booker's shown he can play with CP3. I don't see why he couldn't play with with Trey or Luca. Uh, but DeAndre Ayton is not a bust, and I, I think that that is clear. He looks like a potential all-star. He looks like a franchise-type center in a playoff setting. And that that's all you could ask for, you know, being Phoenix and drafting him number one overall. So, um, you know, he, he's probably going to end up being the third-best player from that class at best. But if he's an all-star level, you know, eventually maybe second or third team all-NBA-type guy, uh, that's still a win with the number one pick. And you're not going to get over not drafting Luka or Trey, but – as long as he you know, takes care of business and, and is the player that he's been this postseason for many postseasons to come, you have a great foundation with, with him and Booker. And I, I think, I mean, this is their shot. Like, to me, they should be the best remaining team with Kawhi being out. Yep. Now, with with the Giannis and Trey stuff, like, especially, like, Phoenix should be the favorite. And, and you know, they're up 3-2 in this series. They should close this out, close this out, and they should be favored over the East. Yes. Um, now, will that happen? I don't know. But... You know, it could be. This, I mean, if the Clippers win this, it's going to be a super weird thing where, like, you could have the Chris Clippers just without... got to like retire at this point. Like, I, I just it, no more pain for this man. He doesn't. Uh, no more pain for this man to have to experience <laughs> if he doesn't get through this this Clippers situation. Well, I was just going to say you, you could have this weird situation where the the three remaining. You know, if the Clippers come back and win in seven, and, and you know, at that point, that the Hawks Bucks series won't be over yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you could have the three remaining teams having their three best players all out for the rest of the postseason, which would just be I mean, that would be like the perfect ending to this. This season right. is like just who's going to win the, the Bucks, Hawks, Clippers showdown without the rest. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe the Clippers. I would probably hear the Clippers at that point, yeah. but um, just, you know, the, with what they've shown without Kawhi. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, at this point, I will say I'm favoring the West. I, that was the case going to the conference finals, but nothing I've seen has changed my mind that. I am favoring whoever comes out of the West to win the title over whoever comes out of the East. Yeah, I I agree. Um, last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Uh, David Fisdale uh, joining Frank Vogel's staff out in L.A. Uh, what do you make of Fisdale's hire? Was this something that uh, you expected to come down the pike with Kid leaving? Uh, no, but I think it, it makes sense. Um, you know, he worked with LeBron in Miami. They had a great uh, relationship. LeBron has spoken highly of him. Uh, I think one interesting wrinkle to this is that uh, Marc Gasol and David Fisdale famously did not get along. And last I checked, Marc Gasol is still on this roster. Uh, and, and part Depending of the reason why... Watch. Yeah, and, and, and part of the reason why Fisdale was let go in Memphis was his relationship with Marc Gasol. So I don't mm-hmm. know if they've repaired that. I don't know what the status of that is, but it's interesting... Um, you know, bringing in a a coach that your starter or backup center, uh, you know, really did not get along with, and that was part of his dismissal. Um, so, I mean, that, that that's just I thought that was a fun little wrinkle. But I, I like Fizdale I, I, more as an like to, to me, 
I mean, he was at his best in Miami as a assistant coach. He seems to be one of those coaches who players love and rave about other than Marcus Um, But, you know, he, I mean, if you've ever seen him talk, like he, he's got a great personality. Uh, I mean, you got the famous take that for data. Like he, he's going to stand up for, for his players and he doesn't have those responsibilities as, as not being a head coach. But um, I think he, he, he's, I mean, now the, the one thing I'll say is I think the, the Lakers need a, a offensive coordinator. I think Fisdale is more of a defensive guy and, and more of that kind of gritty Miami heat culture, uh, you know, did uh, coach some of those grit and grind teams t- towards the end of that run. So I, I don't, I, I mean, I, I don't know if he helps the Lakers' biggest need, which at this point to me is an offensive architect. Like I, I think them hiring like a, a Mike D'Antoni or someone of that ilk w- would be ideal. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're ever going to run that type of offense, but I think they, they need some more variety with their offensive sets and, and just with their offensive approach because. I think the, the the current system is just clearly not working, and just having LeBron and AD on the floor, you should walk into a top ten offense. Where last year they were still around league average with those two guys on the floor, so that to me is an issue that they're gonna have to solve. Part of its personnel, I, I think they got to add more three point shooting and um, maybe, maybe a little bit more ball handling to just and playmaking just to the group overall. But uh, aside from that, I think. You know, so I, I think Fisdale, he, he's definitely a defensive coach who, who I think fits more of, of what Frank Vogel is and, and kind of just another one of those guys that, that that's a grinder, you know, video guy, works hard. Um, but I, I think if, if I were the Lakers, I would look for another you know, potential hire and, and probably more of an offensive guy um, where I don't know if – I mean, I, I know you work with Spo and, and Spo is obviously an offensive genius and, and um, you know, gets really creative with stuff. I, I don't – but I have a feeling Fisdale is probably going to be in charge of the defense or, or, or one of the two guys in charge of the defense. So um, I am interested to kind of hear Frank Vogel and, and Rob Palinka talk more about Fisdale, more, more of why they hired him, more of um, how they envision him fitting. Uh, but that's an answer we're probably not going to get till training camp. All right. Yovan, what can we check out from you across the athletic.com this week as we wrap up here so you can get to the arena? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll just, I'll be having some Suns coverage. If, if you go to the athletic.com should be on the NBA page, but also on the Suns page, um, you know, potentially writing about Chris Paul making his first NBA finals or potentially writing about Chris Paul, uh, blowing a, another three, one lead and, and being maybe the, the most snake bitten star of all time. Uh, so stay tuned for either overreaction. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at, uh, Yovan Buha, J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. There you go. Yovan, thank you so much for making the time. Always a pleasure talking NBA with you. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, all right, man. Well, we'll we'll be back soon. Yovan Buha, enjoy the game tonight. Uh, thank you as always, my friend. Thank you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.